Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 9th. In today's news, the Pentagon says the U.S. will not take over Islamic State prisons if Kurdish forces withdraw. Bernie Sanders is scaling back campaign events after his heart attack. And a major milestone in Alabama as Montgomery elects its first black mayor. But first, the big idea. The White House announced last night that it will not cooperate at all with the House's impeachment inquiry of President Trump. In an eight-page letter, White House counsel Pat Cipollone claimed that the inquiry into the Ukraine scandal is without merit, complained that the president has been denied due process, and argued that Democrats are intent on overturning the results of the 2016 election. In response, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Democrats are undeterred and will move ahead with their investigation focused on Trump's pressure on a foreign leader to dig up dirt on a domestic political rival. The White House's pronouncement, which lacked any substantive legal basis, capped a day of defiance, and it underscored the limitations of the Democratic ability to exercise their oversight authority in the face of an administration that appears unfazed by flouting subpoenas. The White House's resistance throws a new and formidable roadblock in the way of House investigators attempting to depose various State Department officials. While the administration is refusing to provide witnesses or documents, Democrats are still negotiating for testimony from the whistleblower, whose complaint about Trump's call to the Ukrainian president prompted the inquiry. The whistleblower wrote in a two-page supplemental memo that the intelligence community's inspector general provided last week that a White House official told him the substance of Trump's full conversation with the Ukrainian leader, Volodymyr Zelensky, was, quote, crazy and frightening. Remember, the White House released a rough transcript and held a lot back. Trump has regularly told White House officials that he does not want to cooperate in any way with the various House committees conducting oversight. He was angry about all the damning and potentially incriminating text messages that came out last week from his appointees. As part of its stonewalling, Trump's State Department blocked House investigators yesterday from deposing Gordon Sunland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union and a central figure in those text messages. Sunland was willing to testify, according to his lawyer, Robert Luskin, but he didn't appear on Tuesday at the last-minute instruction of the State Department. Apparently, the order to Sunland's attorney not to testify came via a voicemail at 12.30 a.m. yesterday morning. Even Trump's Republican allies in the House were caught off guard by that last-minute order. The White House letter last night suggests that the administration will take similar steps to block the testimony of former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch, who is expected or scheduled for a deposition with the House on Friday. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney who's knee-deep in the Ukraine mess, also pledged yesterday to disregard House subpoenas for documents related to his efforts. He declared, quote, let them hold me in contempt. Looking to bolster his defense, Trump is likely to hire former Congressman Trey Gowdy, the Republican from South Carolina who became famous for his inquest into the Benghazi incident, to serve as an outside lawyer for the impeachment process. Trump is doing this at least partly because of concerns that Giuliani is not up for the job. The House is expected in the days ahead to issue additional subpoenas for three Soviet-born operatives who worked with Giuliani in Ukraine and have thus far resisted summonses from Congress. At the same time that all of this was going on, 
The Trump administration was in court yesterday attempting to convince a federal judge that the courts never should have given Congress the roadmap that formed the backbone of the Watergate hearings. The House Judiciary Committee has appealed to that Watergate precedent in an effort to secure the grand jury materials that former special counsel Bob Mueller relied on for his report. When a Trump Justice Department lawyer said during the hearing that the administration doesn't think this Nixon-era precedent is binding, the chief judge of the U.S. District Court in D.C. was taken aback. Daryl Howell, the judge, called it an extraordinary position for the government to take. Then she added, quote, wow. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the U.S. military has no plans to intervene if Syrian Kurdish forces abandon a constellation of Islamic State prisons inside Syria so that they can confront the imminent Turkish invasion of their territory. Kurdish officials say that for now, guards are still in place at more than 20 prisons and camps under their control, but their people are prepared to move, raising the possibility that about 11,000 militants and their families could escape. U.S. officials say the Pentagon doesn't have enough forces to oversee the prisons if those facilities are left unguarded, nor a mandate to do so. Trump says the responsibility for the militants detained by the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, the main U.S. partner against ISIS, will fall to the Turkish government if it goes ahead with its planned incursion. But the Turks aren't necessarily inclined to do anything, and it's not clear that they have the resources to be able to either. The potential for a battle between two American allies in Syria has intensified the Trump administration's struggle to find a solution for the detainees and about 70,000 displaced women and children who were housed in separate camps, some of whom are ISIS supporters. This is terrifying stuff. Number two, Bernie Sanders says he was being dumb when he ignored several symptoms that foretold the heart attack he suffered last week. The senator urges others not to make the same mistake. He also admitted that he's going to have to reduce the number of campaign events he holds each day and how much he flies around the country because of his health. Sanders spoke to reporters outside his home in Burlington, Vermont, after he returned from a visit to his cardiologist Tuesday. He said, at the doctor's orders, he'll do fewer rallies for the time being, though he reiterated he plans to be at the debate next week in Ohio. Sanders previously committed to releasing all of his medical records before the Iowa caucuses, but he hasn't done so yet. He said yesterday that he'll provide the information at, quote, the appropriate time, but declined to elaborate. Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren, also in their 70s, have also committed to releasing their medical records, but they have not followed through yet. As Sanders recuperates, he has to cope with some other tragic news. His daughter-in-law, Renee Riggs, died over the weekend, just two days after she was diagnosed with neuroendocrine cancer. She was only 46 years old. A neuropsychologist herself and the wife of Levi Sanders, Riggs passed away the day after the senator flew back to Vermont from Nevada, where he had suffered his heart attack. Number three. In happier news, Montgomery, Alabama, once the cradle of the Confederacy, elected its first African-American mayor yesterday. Stephen Reed, a county probate judge, beat television station owner David Woods in a runoff election. This election has never been about me. This election has never been about just my ideas. 
It's been about all of the hopes and dreams that we have as individuals and collectively in this city. Half the capital city's population is black, but whites have continued to maintain a tight grip on power. Montgomery is one of only three cities in six deep south states with a population of over 100,000 that had never elected an African-American as mayor. Reed was the first African-American elected as the county's probate judge in 2012. In 2015, he was the first probate judge in Alabama to issue same-sex marriage licenses. Reed said he wants to invest in public transportation and address the issues of brown water and food deserts in some of Montgomery's poorest communities. Times have been changing in the city, where George Wallace once ruled with an iron fist and Jefferson Davis took the oath of office to become the Confederacy's first president. Last year, a museum to highlight the dark history of lynching opened across the street from where the city's slave market used to be. In his victory speech last night, Reed says Montgomery is a city with limitless potential, a city that has no limits outside of its imagination. The only thing that can hold us back is our fears, he said, because when we come together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.